Welcome to the Practice Podcast, conversations probing the nature of practice. I'm your host, Dave Firon. This is a conversation again with Tom Casey, who is the founder and principal of Discussion Partners Collaborative. They work particularly with the senior leadership community here in the country and abroad. Tom always has something very in the moment that he writes about and certainly consults upon. And he's a trend watcher. And today we have a conversation about where have the workers gone? <laughs> Where's our workforce when, when we finally realize we need them here in this country and perhaps in many other parts of the world? Where have they gone? So he'll tell us, and he'll tell us what we need to do about it. Not in specifics, but it boils down in my recollection from this conversation into managerial leadership, the very practice that Peter Vale and I have focused on for our whole careers. Managerial leaders take note, whatever you need to do now, to change your minds and try something different regarding keeping and developing a workforce, don't delay. <laughs> Listen to Tom Casey. And uh, I think anyone else who's listening will find out that you are, as am I, part of that workforce that's either aging out or not being born. <laughs> so here's Tom Casey. So folks, I am back with Tom Casey uh, because we have said uh, that change is what changes the most these days. At least Peter and I said that back in the day, and Tom, I'm sure, would agree, given that he's heading a consultancy that is dealing with the senior leadership uh, community, and change keeps whacking up against the wall uh, like the, uh, the waves of a hurricane. Uh, a, a bit of hyperbole there, Tom. But one of the things that we left off on when I had my last conversation with Tom was what's happening then, COVID-wise, et cetera, with that workforce, the very uh, group of people <laughs> writ large that uh, at least this country really needs to be uh, at work, either at home or together. So maybe that's also an issue about practice because Every one of those persons, if you boil it down to Joe Doe, uh, mm -hmm. has something that they are very good at doing <laughs> mm -hmm. and would be lovely if they got paid for it. So right. anyway, what do you think? <laughs> well, I think that, you know, I think the extension of the, the pandemic and the social policies that are being created, not only domestically, but also um, uh, uh, globally, and the conclusions that there is a global labor shortage. What, what's happening is we're underappreciating why there's a global labor shortage. We're also underappreciating how long it's going to last. Mm -hmm. And we're also underappreciating what the consequences could be and what the solutions might look like. Okay. And I'll, I'll give you an example. We published a, a white paper that's now 
gone viral on multiple platforms back in July. And, mm-hmm. and, and the white paper was actually driven by a, uh, some irritation, okay? Because within the discussion partner framework community, you know, we, we think about these things. I mean, it's one of the reasons that people think, you know, in addition to charm and wit, they think we have some insight, okay? <laughs> and so, you know, what was happening is we were getting a little sick and tired of reading that the labor shortage will go away when the generosity of unemployment benefits is suspended. Yep. Okay, that seemed to be everybody's conclusion. Yeah, I and, saw that. Yeah, and, and frankly, there was probably a little of that, but that to us was was a um, really just not, I started to use the word sophisticated, but an informed response to a problem that is going to be with us for quite some time. Mm-hmm. You know, before the pandemic, we were suffering labor shortage. Okay. Before the pandemic, places in Europe we're trying to reinvent their social benefits programs because of the demog- shift in demographics. Okay, you could no longer afford the generosity of the pension plans in France. Okay, because there were going to be too many older people taking advantage of it and too many younger people paying into it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the thing is, we, we've come up with this working hypothesis of the labor shortage that's got four dimensions to it. Mm-hmm. Okay, and the very first one is you know, embrace the horror. It's not going away. Okay. And, and therefore you need to go to school on the root causes of it, not be influenced by the media, not be influenced by a conversation, but you, it is incumbent on you and your enterprise to go to school on it. Second is you need to start thinking of alternatives that can obviate what will be extreme difficulty in finding and retaining the people you need to grow your enterprise. That's just the way it's going to be. The third is that some of those solutions may not be human oriented, mm-hmm. okay? That they could be artificial intelligence, they could be robotics. And the fourth is the first line of defense to deal with all of this as a problem is the people working for you now. Okay, that's, that's the, the working hypothesis we have. You know, you, and, and you, you can't blame the, the labor shortage on the generosity of the unemployment benefits of the CARE Act because many, many states suspended those payments and frankly, it was not material in terms of dealing with the labor shortages they have right now. Right. And we're also seeing traditional uh, recruiting mechanisms just not working. For example, I was on, uh, had a Zoom conversation with the chief human resources officer of a global cancer healthcare provider who uh, took an ad out on LinkedIn offering, you know, a, a very, very generous sign-on bonus, did not get one applicant. So that's a a lot of people can be seeing that. It's a it's a national organization. It was a highly priced skill. It was for nurses, and it was a very generous sign-on bonus. And he heard crickets. That's a sign. That's a sign of the four things you just said. (laughs) Well, it's it's uh, unfortunately it's starting with embrace the horror. Yeah. So you know the risk the risk of running back into Chillerama movie theaters here. But the reality (laughs) is the, the. The reality is that 
that it's not going to go away. And, and we need to understand, I mean, David, both you and I are boomers. And as we've talked before, there were 87 million of us born. My children's generation, the generation X, there were only 44. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh-huh. And then you look at the combination of the generation uh, Y, the millennials, okay, which have caused all managers here to turn white because of how they want to be managed, plus the generation Z, it's still not going to, to, to offset the, the people who were never born generation X and the people who will be leaving the workforce, which is the baby boomers. It's just not that people. I mean, you, you really need to start with the, the hypothesis is the people you're looking to recruit were never born. Okay. I'm going to put it just, an underline on that one. Yeah, just the, yeah, underline, italicize, you know, exclamation point. The people you know, you're looking I mean, for were never yeah, born. And, and cloning is just not an option. <laughs> so, you know, just just start thinking along the lines of this, there is this problem and it's not going to go away. Okay. So then, you know, once you appreciate the problem and you don't get distracted by the noise level of if only, if only. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, you need to start thinking much more strategically, tactically. And the, you know, I'm not sophisticated enough to know what is or isn't going to be um, uh, the consequence of robotics or uh, uh, artificial intelligence. I'll leave that to people uh, much, much smarter than me. However, you are seeing, starting to see experiments. Okay, for example, yeah. for example, okay, a uh, very small example. Uh, I'm on the board of advisors for a consortium of golf courses. They used to have people at their driving ranges at the courses, okay, right. to the bucket of balls, et cetera. That's right. Now, I don't think you're going to find a course in the United States that has anybody there. You're going to have a slot machine like Las Vegas when you want to get some balls, and hopefully it'll work. Who picks up the balls in the automatic course? <laughs> um, that's where the robots may come in eventually. I yeah, I can, don't I can yeah, picture I don't, that car yeah. versus the poor guy who used to have to wear a helmet. Yeah, the, yeah, the and, and you know, and everybody would everybody would take a slot shot at him. <laughs> and think, you know, the, if you hit him twice, that you get him to an ice cream cone. But the the thing is that that you know that's just a real micro example. No, okay, man. a real. Mi- you you're also oh, yeah. looking at fast food places. Okay, where they're converting to everything is being done um, through robotics. You know, you 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 order the food preparation, the distribution. There's experimentation going on there. Uh, retail is changing. Everything that requires mass quantities of human beings is changing. Okay, and may I add, mass quantities of people who are have seated themselves having no choice but to work for very low pay. And, right. and they've been gamed out of benefits because, you know, holding right. 35 hours, all the rest. Uh, that, to me, that's pretty much a huge bunch of people who are somewhat pissed off. <laughs> right. You know, I mean, it, it, a lot of this point is self-inflicted wounds, too, here in the domestic mm-hmm. U.S., you know, because, you know, it, it, you know, let's look at immigration, okay, is, you know, our our Pavlovian response that we don't want, you know, uh, generous immigration policy. Where we got the labor back in the turn of the century and just before was allowing for immigration. My my ancestors came over from Ireland. Everybody, unless you were, you know, part of an American Indian tribe, your your ancestors came from someplace else. That's right. Okay. 
And so, you know, then we decided, well, this is bad. And the consequence of it being bad is there's a shortage of labor. And and also, and this is one of the things that we're underappreciating as well, there's been exodus of some of the people who uh, came to school here with the intention of staying. You know, with they've they've become unwelcome and they're going home. Okay, oh, and, it, and or and or thinking that they don't. You know, look at places like MIT, Caltech. Uh, we're educating people who would love to have stayed, and frankly, we need them. Mm-hmm. Okay, but you know the the practices that we have are are just a problem. Okay, so that's the you know immigration part of it. The other part of it is the economic piece. Okay, you know I would challenge most of us to figure out how we would feed a family of three or four on minimum wage without healthcare. That's a challenge. And that's a challenge when you're looking at retail, you're looking at uh, uh, hospitality, et cetera. Mm-hmm. The third challenge we have and this beyond that is that there is, a, there is what I call the pandemic pause, David. Mm-hmm. Okay, there's a lot of people who were, because of the pandemic, stepping back and asking themselves the question, where do I want to work? What do I want to do? And what am I looking for in the leader who I'm going to be working for? That's a key. Okay. That's uh, and it's, and it's, you know, there's been a lot of research being done by McKinsey and Deloitte about the, the, that type of thing. And we're experiencing ourselves in our practice because we're working with organizations on executive transitions. And a lot of the people, that are integral to succession plans, they, as we've talked in the past, they've just decided that, you know, life is too short. They want to do something else. Wow. That, no, that in itself right there, if you put a big circle around that particular gap that's emerging, mm-hmm. uh, can mm-hmm. really be, uh, shortening the life of a, of a particular otherwise good company. If you don't have that, that pipeline and that succession as certainly as we thought we did be, you know, before people got a chance to think it over, which is what the pandemic pandemic is. At the very least, and to your point, is complicating it. For example, one of our clients is a very large organization. They have about 400 global officers. And their succession plan, which is really good, okay, assumed that 5% of the officers were going to leave every year. Coming out of the pandemic, going into 2021, it looks like it's going to be 12%. Mm. Okay, so then they're not all leaving at the same time. Okay, mm. Mm. and but the, uh, the the thing it is it calls into question is the readiness of the successors, and That's for right. and for another more strategic assessment, uh, it, it, as we've talked in the past, as we take the view is the leadership development programs, unless they are reinforcing some of the softer skills, probably need to rethink as well. You know, so it's a very large, complex problem in terms of the labor shortage, starting with just the shortage of human beings. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then everything else is is a consequence of that, and requiring not a rush to judgment or or, or a constant refrain of things that, frankly, just not accurate. Now, I. I'm 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 ready to pull the sheet over the face of American enterprise here or global enterprise, right. based on your first three points, which uh, are chilling. But I mm-hmm. know you, Tom, and I've known you a long time before these podcasts. You see something clearly. You say right to the person who's your client. This is the case. This is what it is, right. with evidence. But you don't 
mince words. You don't say, gee, if I tell them too much, I might scare away a good contract. No, you're very direct. And your first point was, it's a horror. But right. the fourth one is, look to your people. So sure. let's talk a little bit about the fourth one while I'm <laughs> getting what, over my chills. <laughs> one of the ones that I'm, I'm going to be telling a personal story is years ago during the talent shortage of uh, the late 90s, the dot-com era, which there was an for different reasons, there was a similar problem. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, the group, and um, quite a few of them were still with me, okay, quite some time later, okay, we developed a program called the Bounty Program. Now, the Bounty Program was influenced by, you know, the, the Have Gun, Will Travel TV show. Okay, oh, yeah. you know, yeah, so we... Paladin. <laughs> Paladin, there you go. There you go, Paladin. And, and much to my embarrassment, recently I gave this speech and I mentioned Paladin and Have Gun Will Travel, and, I, I, and people were staring at me. Cricket no idea, <laughs> no idea what I was talking about. Somebody ventured that, oh yeah, yeah, I came up during a Harry Bosch thing on Netflix. Not <laughs> not exactly reassuring as I'm reaching for the iron pills, but the bounty program that we developed, essentially the, the working hypothesis that we have discussion partners has, and frankly, the, the, the organizations I with previously, is your best source of referrals, okay, is the people working with you now. But it requires you to do three things. One, it requires you to be a good leader, because nobody wants to invite a friend to work, you know, in the black hole of Calcutta. <laughs> okay, they'll, other than that, unless they open to the question as to why you still work in here. Second is you need to start thinking about the incentives much more seriously and generously than, you know, you get a $25 disc certificate to, um, you know, Golden Corral. Mm -hmm. Okay. Third is you not need to think about it much more strategically in terms of what, you know, what is the question to which a much more generous program is the answer. Okay. So let's take a program that would require you to use a search firm. Okay. Now, uh, let's take a salary of um, uh, $60,000 for using the math, all right? You're going to use a search firm to find a replacement or, uh, or an incumbent for $60,000, just again, for the math purposes. And you're going to have to spend probably anywhere between fifteen dollars to $18,000 to do that, okay? That's money in the hopes that the search firm finds somebody disqualified and they will stay. What happens instead of giving 18 to a search firm, you give 10 to one of your employees? Okay, 10,000 to a lot of people would represent fairly serious money. Definitely. Okay, now let's take this program and disaggregate it into the strategic part of what I'm talking about. What happens is if you phase the payments out over say approximately 18 months, Okay, we'll give you 2000 now, we'll give you another 2000 when the person has their first year anniversary, and we'll give you 6000 at the end of 18 months. The very oh, first, ver, verse, and you have to be there in order to collect it. Very yeah. first strategic issue here is, okay, well, that helps your intention. Okay, the other thing is, and based on the programs where we've put this into play in the past, is it improves the quality of the original of the applicant who's being referred. Nobody wants to uh, introduce a schlemiel to their company, okay, who will fail. 
So if you put some serious money on the table, you phase the payments over a period of time and you have a leap of faith that the people you're working with are taking their job seriously, the company seriously, they will move in. Uh, they will likely bring in people who are at least as qualified, if not more qualified to do the job. It, it, okay. sound, it sounds very sound. And that was it something you implemented and have been developing over a number of years. So um, often, often on, we've been doing it since the late nineties. Yeah. Okay. Because you know, when you had the war for talent coming in, uh, uh, things like that, you know, I mean, one of the things that, um, um, you know, we, and I'm sorry, this is where my, my, um, less than delicate language came in. We, we were the group of us that created this program. We were a little sick of hearing that it was the quality of work life. Oh yeah. You know, is, and we had this come up and so I'm not going to tell you the uh, company I was with, but it was a large global company and we were developing a strategy for attraction and retention. Mm -hmm. And I was in New York, I was surrounded by people. And I said, so what should we tell our clients to do? Okay. And number one was, you know, improve the quality of work life. Okay. This would have been the late nineties. And just before we broke, you know, I'm looking around the room and everybody looked like me. And I said, you know, it's like three o'clock on a Friday afternoon in New York. I said, if there's anybody still here who's younger than we are, could we get them in here and test these ideas? And we were way, we were way off. We were oh. totally off, totally off. Wow. And, and, you know, what, what, what they were saying, you know, you know, uh, folks, if there's no quality of work life, we're not going to stay anyway. Okay, that's 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 not that's not that's a benefit. You, yeah, that's not a benefit you're giving us. It's something you'd better give us in the first place, or we're out of here. Okay, yeah, yeah. what they were looking for was three things. One is they wanted more money. Okay, who doesn't? Second is they wanted more opportunity in their careers. Who doesn't? And third is they wanted more investments in their own uh, learning and development. Yay. I'm for that. Okay, sure. And but organizations were instead going to, you know, uh, give, you know, uh, anything but anything but okay. Um, and um, that's, that's where we created the bounty program saying, okay, fine, if you can deal with some of these other things, like, you know, this is an attractive place for learning and development. And David, you, you and I have talked about this in our, our various capacities and interactions is, you know, any organization of any size that doesn't perceive themselves to be in the education business is already behind the curve. Yeah. Okay. I, I really featured that in our last conversation, Tom. Right. Obviously, I have a very keen bias, but I also believe, just for a moment, that if you look at what I'm discovering, what Peter and I wrote about and talked about regarding the nature of practice, mm -hmm. it's self managed, it's the individual self owned mindset that mm -hmm. they're going to do something that they do well and want to do better and if they and if they can do it and be paid for it that's a plus that's the right. opening. but right. once they're in see what people may not understand is they're in there's a pressure cooker inside a person particularly mm -hmm. in this generation earlier generation we just talked about the young one they know they feel if they're being constrained if they're being sent to the street for their learning and they don't feel that they're getting any opportunity to learn naturally in the company that pressure builds up and out the door they go that, well, that's my take on it yeah 
Well, think about it, and again, the strategically for the labor shortage, just re reverting mm -hmm. back because you're absolutely right. Mm -hmm. Put yourself in the position of somebody talking to a friend or somebody they went to school with, saying, look, dude, do that. All right, you're going to help me make some money, okay? But I'm doing you a favor because this place is great, okay? One of the differentiators making this thing great is you're never going to learn as much as you do here, and frankly, they're going to spend a lot of time and energy to make sure that happens. I'm sold. Yeah. Well, <laughs> show me yeah, where to it's, sign. <laughs> it's you know versus filling out forms on LinkedIn. Yeah. Okay, that is a tactic. Is something that that I think you need to be considering. It may not be the only tactic, but I certainly wouldn't rule it out. And I certainly wouldn't rule it out because you know you're thinking to yourself that well, that's more expensive. Yeah, it's more serious money to an employee. Okay, and think about the benefits of doing that because you're going to spend that money anyway, if not directly in terms of opportunities cost. Mm -hmm. Okay, mm -hmm. so that's one of the tactics. But we're 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 right back into the issue here in terms of the labor shortage. It's just you know organizations need to be doing things that just make people want to to come back to work, want to stay there and want to encourage other people to join. While they're sorting out the ability of artificial intelligence and robotics, they need to do those three things. Very clear. You know, well, you would think. <laughs> There's you a know, but. <laughs> but. Well, it's not, it's not so much as a but, it's, it's that you know, you're dealing with a lot of people who are so heads down right now trying to figure out ways to survive post-pandemic as they were uh, going into the global recession in the uh, 2008, 2009 period. All right. And, you know, I mean, I, and I'm pleased I'm not faulting them because frankly, I'm having conversations with very smart people about this. Absolutely. It, but the, what's happening is it's very hard sometimes to, pers to persuade people who haven't been following the bouncing ball of demographics in the first place that the people we're looking for were never born. That's coming across as new. <laughs> okay. So, um, um, you know, and, and, and the other issue here is the programs around this, you know, particularly if you start introducing robotics into an enterprise, uh, are going to be based on trial and error and pilots and, frankly, some other investments they have to make. So it's, you know, it, it's not a simple problem to solve, and, and it's going to require a, an array and menu of solutions, starting with an awareness of how serious this problem is and how long term it's going to be. I'm thinking of what happened a few years, maybe a couple of decades back now, when there was in quotes a labor shortage, meaning that they did they didn't want to pay U.S. workers enough per hour with benefits. So, how did they solve it? They went to Poland, they went to China, sure. they went to right. Vietnam, right. and now we've seen now that if you're going to be throwing the ball that far <laughs> from sure. one end zone to another, there's a mm -hmm. less of a chance now that it's going to land in the hands of someone who you want to catch it. So pushing that analogy a little bit, uh, Tom, can you predict the, that some will say, well, we'll buy our, what we need in, in yeah, India I, or in Ireland and other places. And now we got a global competition for the people everyone wants to hire. Right. Well, let me answer it in three ways as being a typical consultant here. Uh, <laughs> one is, you know, I'm, I'm from the, you know, I live in the greater Boston area. Okay, and back during a healthcare labor shortage, we were recruiting nurses from South Africa. 
That's right. Okay. Uh, not easy to do with the newer immigration policies. Okay. But I, at the time I was thinking, well, lucky us, we can afford to do that. But where does that leave South Africa? Short of nurses. It's certainly not in a good advantageous position. So, right. you know, we need to think globally around, um, you know, where we recruit and frankly, how we do outsourcing. Outsourcing back in the 90s, early part of the uh, 2000s was a huge, huge political football. Okay, and you can you can get cheaper labor overseas. Yeah, okay. The question is, you know, how how good is the labor? And in reality, you know, are we making sure that those people aren't being taken advantage of? Which in many societies they were. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. The other part of that, so you know, there's the there's there's the the global community citizen part of this. You need to think about. Mm-hmm. The other the other issue here is you know you picked on you you picked on Ireland you, you mentioned Ireland I was on I was the chairman of a pension committee in Ireland with uh, their oldest and at that time largest retailer in Dublin mm-hmm. okay they had the same problems that every retailer here has okay so you know and they you know they would rather have solved the, the the workers there would rather have solved the problems in staying in Ireland with their family than they are coming here only to find the same problem. Exactly. Okay, so there's nothing mystical coming to the United States, you know, if if the opportunities are present in that society. Okay, so the other part here, and I don't want to go too into the to the uh, to, to the ten thousand foot level here, is this to me is an issue of educating oneself recognizing that the solution is leadership and the first line of defense is engaging your own people though those are those are the three things that i think that you know speaking to the audience as it relates to a practice okay you need to understand the demographics you need to really be you know self-assess yours and the people surrounding your leadership is this an inducement or is this a distraction or is this a disincentive Okay, and then come up with creative ways that you can engage your own employees to help you solve this problem. This puts the um, pins the donkey's tail on the chief executive office of the chief financial office, the chief operator, that group that you've been working with. And mm-hmm. Peter uh, Vale worked tirelessly for his whole career uh, on the issue of adequately, with a big question mark, preparing managerial leaders and they'd be sent out from the various schools that he worked and where he taught or where he was dean. And even what I'm working on in the editing, the, the piece that he's got in the manuscript, he's very concerned that by virtue of how we prepared MBAs and beyond over many years, we've sent people out, Tom, who couldn't, can't do what you just said. Their heads are quantitatively or tipped or tilted, et cetera. And that they're not really confident, and I'm generalizing now, not putting words in Peter's mouth, that they can make that personal shift in their practice from the way they practice managerial leadership to how they're going to have to practice managerial leadership, not someday, Uh now. I'm going to use a case example to reinforce your point, David. Uh, one is a uh, one of our salespeople. This is years ago. Okay, 
uh, took me out to see a person who had just been appointed to the chief human resources officer position of a very large division within this company. Mm-hmm. Okay. And he came from operations. All right. And this was part of their succession is move from operations into non-operations. And then, you know, we'll see how you do. Okay. Yeah. So they bring me out to meet with a person and really very smart, very introspective uh, man. Uh, and he says, I need to know about HR. I need to learn what it is to be about HR. And I looked at him and I said, why? And he says, well, I, I don't understand it. And I said, and that's not your job. You're supposed to be surrounding yourself with people who do understand it. Of course, meantime, our sales guy is, you know, reaching for the Xanax, but because he thinks we just <laughs> talked himself out of an engagement. But, you know, what this man did is he went searching throughout the company to find people who, you know, were really the best and the brightest in terms of development, compensation, benefits, recruiting. He developed a SWAT team and um, now he's he's pretty close to being the CEO of this whole global company with hundreds of thousands of employees. Well, that, okay. that is, that only, not only is the advice that you gave him in a very direct fashion, but mm-hmm. it seems to me to answer a bit of my so-called complaint uh, because what we could prepare manager leaders to do is just mm-hmm. that. To, Mm -hmm. yes, of course, become acquainted with the field that you're going to be doing some leadership in, but leading is making relationships happen, sustaining them, and providing an environment within which people can work across those relationships and make good things happen. Uh, That's what we call the OB way, the org behavior way, Mm -hmm. in the sense of the org development way. We've had our own uh, names and and, mm-hmm. and, and models and so forth. But to me, my gut is telling me that we absolutely have to find people like the person you just described and people like you who give them, you know, the straight poop about what they need to do. Yeah, or salespeople that eventually will, they will finish their therapy. But the, the <laughs> other part of it is, and, and I'm, a, I'm a big believer is you can do, you can, you can move mountains with surrounding yourself with very smart people. And I'm going to revert back to the labor shortage is something that, that I don't think any CEO can fix on their own. He or she is going to be restrained, uh, not only by their own imagination, but also, frankly, by time. Okay. They need to surround themselves with people who will also appreciate the magnitude of the problem, just like they do. Okay, but you know, I mean, one of the things that I mean, I, I look at the office of the presidency of any country. Okay, he or she may be, you know, um, uh, Chancellor Merkel has her skills. Mr. Biden has his skills. There's this this need to um, uh, take it seriously and move on in terms of. Uh, to take it seriously and to surround yourself with good people who appreciate the problem and come up with innovative solutions. We've used the historical metaphor of Roosevelt uh, going into his first cabinet meeting where he said to his folks, "Go now what? Go back to your um, uh, respective departments, try anything. If it works, keep doing it. If it doesn't work, try something else. So, you know, you had a huge trial and error issue here. 
And one of the things, and I'm going to pick on President Roosevelt, there was a quote that I read recently from 1932, where he said, you know, the office, words to the effect, the office of the presidency is the platform by which you have to take risks. You have, you know, the moral leadership of the presidency is something that people are looking to you to provide the answers. All right. You may not have them. You may not have a clue as to what they should be. But, you know, that's not what people elected you to do. And it's the same thing that the boards are looking to the CEOs and the CEOs are entitled to look to the boards. And both mm-hmm. are entitled to look at the people who are you know, getting good money to, to come up with innovative uh, programs. Mm-hmm. The only unacceptable option as it relates to dealing with the law, the um, labor shortage in my mind is ignorance of what is causing it and timidness in terms of being innovative in terms of the solutions you come up with. If both of those exist, I would not want to be investing in your stock. This is uh, uh, a great conversation and I'm looking at my clock in a way, Tom, you've just given us a, um, a really good finale point for this particular mm-hmm. conversation, but not the last time you and I'll be talking because I learn something all the time. I'd like you to give your company a, a plug. It's collaborative. Sure. Yeah. Discussion partner collaborative. Again, what differentiates us is that we, 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 it's a research oriented consultancy, David, is we're always doing pulse surveys, publishing, you know, periodically books, but, you know, frankly, we do it out of paranoia. We want to be able to say to the clients, you know, we're about a chapter ahead if you could possibly be patient and listen to our thoughts. Well, I think that's, um, that's, that's, that you just confirmed what you said others ought to do. Your own mm-hmm. uh, approach for years since you found mm-hmm. this organization is that there's the more smartness among people than by one person, including you, it's a very smart person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and the other is, of course, if you're going to be telling people it's a horror out there and then you're acting like everything's just calm and cozy with your own company, the credibility isn't there. So, but you're, but you're not paranoid and not um, coming through uh, in a way saying, I'm going to tell you how bad it is. And then I'm going to run, you know, some consultants, oh, get, we're, we're some not people get, to- they get yeah. paid to be say how bad it is. And they'll say, well, yeah. good, you know, and I'll send a yeah. minion in to work with you, but you actually continue as long as you have the relationship to help these people sort through, figure out where the smart folks are, how to organize, get a collaboration going within their company. Is that a good pitch for your, for your yeah, wonderful it's, it's It's a better pitch than I came up with, which I'm not sure <laughs> paranoia is a selling point, but I think that, you know, and, and, and again, David, we're not above trying to terrify our, you know, prospective clients or existing clients. You know, sometimes mm-hmm. we think, sometimes we think that that works out pretty well too. But the it thing does. is, it's a, it, you know, it's, it's, we believe the biggest danger is the assumption of, uh, the assumption of the noise that is surrounding very controversial problems, starting with the labor shortage. Mm-hmm. Okay, and I'm going to right back to the thing that drove us to start publishing on this, which was, it's got nothing to do with the unemployment basis in terms of people, you know, not wanting to re-enter work for $300. Because those people who are not going to want to enter work for $300, you ought to ask the self the question is, why do they think that's a better idea for them? 
So that few in number people, you know, can't, can't fault them for being able to add and know what their checkbook looks like. Mm -hmm. But that's not the problem we're having. The problem is starting with the demographics. And mm -hmm. that is what we, if we don't appreciate, shame on us. Oh man, Tom, this has been a great conversation. I can't thank you enough. And uh, hey, you know, folks, <laughs> there could be a 4.0 coming here because each time I talk with Tom, he, he, present, he presents another take on something that matters to all of us, whether we're individual practitioners or running a big company. The demographics, by the way, are us. <laughs> yeah, we are, we are us. And, and frankly, the, the older of us among us, including you and, and David and you and I, and frankly, in our careers, I, I've received one of the obligations, and this circles back to the discussion partners, and one of the reasons we're very serious about the, the writing of the blogs and articles and books is, you know, we've been around a while. Everybody has to be over the age of 55. That's one of the criteria we have. Yeah, and everybody has to, everybody has, has to have uh, lived outside the States or expatriate assignments of 10 years. So we're a little bit more global than most people. So, you know, life is too short to just sit back and go, mm, geez, that's too bad. Well, thank <laughs> you know, you. Particularly if we have a point of view. I, I certainly thank you for your proactive way of moving into the times, the age zone that I've occupied quite a while now, Tom. So folks can't see Tom, but Tom's much younger than I am, but he's been yeah. very kind. <laughs> yeah. Well, th th thank you for the compliment. And I will right now just go take my nap. <laughs> Got it. Thanks. This again, has been Tom. exhausting. You take care, David. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to the Practice Podcasts, where we discuss practice with a capital P. If you'd like to hear more, listen in on Spotify, Automatic, and Apple Podcasts, or go to inactionresearch.com slash podcast dash page. And if you'd like to learn more about social inaction and the nature of practice, head over to inactionresearch.com for more information. Thank you for supporting this show. We look forward to hearing from you soon.